So hey, this year at Christmas, we've been looking at passages in the New Testament outside of the Gospels that tell us who Jesus is. Because at Christmas, we celebrate the fact that Jesus was born as a man. He, he put on flesh. He became human. And uh, he, he came as a vulnerable baby. But he grew up in his humanity. He grew up to be a man who would live a perfect life, who would die a criminal's death on a cross in your place and in my place, and then uh, rise again from death three days later to secure our salvation. But did you know there's more than just the promises that were made that Jesus fulfilled at his first coming? There's many more that point to his second coming. And so his first coming isn't the end. It's really just the beginning, and it's the assurance that he's coming again. And that everything, because everything that was prophesied about his first coming came true, and everything that is prophesied about his second coming will come true. Isn't that good news? And so that's what we're going to see in Revelation this morning. And so Revelation 19 and 21. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the text. Let me pray again. Father, we thank you for Jesus and for your grace to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you came, you put on flesh to live the life we couldn't to save us, and you did it because you love us. We thank you for your grace. And Jesus, um, would you uh, teach us by your spirit now? about your next coming, that we would look forward to it with, with great anticipation and with joy, uh, that we would uh, pray for it to come quickly. And uh, would you teach us, I just pray today, Lord, and give us assurance that even if things are hard now, you're coming to fix it all. And that'll be a good day. So I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects, he would uh, cause us not, Jesus, to look to your second coming, but to doubt it, to doubt you, to not trust you, to not obey you. Instead, Holy Spirit, would you teach us today and change us by the power of your word? Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, everyone knows about the tender, vulnerable baby Jesus in the manger, right? Everybody knows about that. But, you know, there's, there's probably a lot less knowledge about his second coming. I wonder why. Satan seems to be okay with everybody celebrating Christmas and his first coming, but why not his second coming? Because of his second coming, that marks the end of him, right? Or at least of his power and his rule and his reign. And that's when Jesus is going to come in, in power and clean house. So, so the first thing I want you to see here, we're going to get into Revelation 19, but I want you to see that Jesus will return. The eternal son shall return, and he will come in power, in power. I was going to joke with you and, and fill, say the fill-in was 2019 and just see if you guys freaked out a little bit, but no, in power. Anybody awake? Like your fill-in says, Jesus will come in, blank. All right, in power, that's the fill-in. Let's read Revelation 19, enough of my bad jokes. Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, John writes, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, he's called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Listen to this description of him. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God, and the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
He's coming again in power, friends. He is coming again. And at his second coming, he's going to come in power. And here's a few things that that means. He's going to come as the hero. He's going to be the hero. Did you notice what it says right away there in verse 11? Uh, behold, what did he see? I saw heaven opened and behold a what? A white horse. Have you ever heard the phrase, you know, like uh, somebody is going to come in on a white horse and save the day? You ever heard that? You've probably heard that saying before, right? I mean, it's even in some of the, maybe the TV shows you watched or, or still watch even, you know, like the Lone Ranger. He had a white horse. Tonto even had a white horse at one point. I found a picture of him on a white horse. Most of the time it was black, but in this one it's white. And you know, one of the, the greatest images of this, I think, in our culture came from uh, the Lord of the Rings. And it was, uh, it was at the Battle of Helm's Deep, and Gandalf the White won the battle against the evil enemy. And he comes in, and he races down the hill, and the, light, the sky just goes bright, and his face is shining, and his eyes are like fire. And it's, in, in fact, that whole trilogy really is just a, a fictional retelling of all the themes in the Bible. Do you know that? And, and he comes in, and he's racing in to save the day. That's, that's how Jesus will return as the hero so Jesus will come in on literally on a white horse to save the day. Every, every other reference to that is just borrowing imagery from Scripture. There's even other religions that borrow that imagery. And so, uh, girls, when you're little, you know, and you dream of Prince Charming coming in on a horse to save the day, guess who the ultimate Prince Charming is? It's Jesus. And guys, when, when you're out in the yard, you know, uh, swinging a stick, and it's a sword, and you hop off your horse to do battle. Guess who you're imaging? Jesus. Because when he comes again, he's going to be the hero. And he's not going to be the hero. He is the hero. You realize he is the hero all throughout Scripture. When he returns, he's going to be a conquering hero literally to save the day. Jesus himself said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's coming to save the day. And, and Jesus is the hero all throughout the Bible. You know, it's, it's evident vividly throughout Scripture, but it'll be visually evident on that day. And, and some people fail to recognize that Jesus is the hero through all the Bible, not just the end. You know, like they love the New Testament because, oh, that's all about Jesus. But they fail to recognize Jesus shows up in the Old Testament all the time. And in fact, if you really want to understand Revelation and some of the things happening here, you've got to recognize that it's referring to a lot of prophecies from the Old Testament. Most of the really wacky trans, or, uh, interpretations in the book of Revelation, you know, people come up with all these whacked out ideas of what it means and all the symbolism. Do you know why they have those crazy ideas? They haven't read the Old Testament because the Old Testament actually informs Revelation. The Old Testament was about Jesus. Jesus was the hero then. In fact, Jesus himself said to, to uh, the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, meaning the Old Testament, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And Jesus is like, What's, well, they do. They, they bear witness to me. They're all about me. It's all about Jesus. Beginning after his resurrection, he, he talked to his disciples, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. See, Jesus isn't just going to be the hero, friends. He is the hero now. And he was the hero in the Old Testament. And he'll be the hero for eternity. That's why we say it's all about Jesus. It's just on that day, when Revelation 19, 11 comes true, it's just going to, instead of being vivid in the text, it's going to be vivid visually. You're going to see him riding in. And uh, 
when he comes, he's going to come in power as the hero, and he's also uh, going to come as the righteous judge. He's going to be the righteous judge. He isn't just coming to save us, but he's coming to make things right. Do you know when Jesus returns, he's going to punish wickedness? He's going to destroy evil. He's going to end injustice. Jesus will come in power as the righteous judge. Aren't you thankful that when Jesus comes to judge, he doesn't have to get through a congressional approval or an election of any sort? Like he's just going to come and rightfully set up shop and he's going to judge in righteousness. Now in righteousness means that he's going to judge with rightness. Every judgment he makes will be right. See, look, it says, after John sees him riding in on his white horse, he says, the one who's sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. In in other words, all of his judgments will be right. Righteousness is rightness. It'll all be according to his standard. There won't be any... Uh, false convictions or, or any other thing that happens that isn't right and true because that's how Jesus will judge. Now that's both an encouraging thing if you know him and it's a terrifying thing if you haven't trusted him because in his righteousness, in his right judgment, he, he's, he, he's commanded all people, Acts tells us, to repent and believe in him. And so those who haven't believed in him and then basically just been given his righteousness so that they're right with God, they will be judged by Jesus in the end. And so him coming as a righteous judge is comforting for those who've been clothed in his righteousness by faith. And it's, listen, if it's not terrifying, it will be terrifying if you haven't trusted him. See, uh, look at this. It, it goes, the text goes on. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Verse 13, I'm going to skip there for a moment. He's clothed with a robe that's dipped in blood. Well, why is his robe dipped in blood? This is a strange reference. Some, some people think maybe it's the blood of the martyrs. Some people think maybe it's Jesus shed blood from the cross. I think it's something different. We'll keep reading. And the name by which he's called is the word of God. Jesus is the word. He's the incarnate word that fulfills all of God's written word. He's he's God's promise, his word fulfilled. But skip down to verse 15. It says, from his mouth when he arrives comes a sharp sword. Now, Now John is seeing things. He's describing what he sees, and he's been giving a vision and there's, there's symbolism and metaphor and all those things wrapped up in this, but what he sees is like this sword coming from his mouth with which to strike down the nations. And he, Jesus, will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. This imagery, friends, again, I told you a little bit ago, if you don't understand the Old Testament, Revelation sounds a little bit strange. Uh, this, this imagery comes from Isaiah. And in Isaiah, Isaiah writes this in Isaiah 63. See if this looks familiar from this whole passage we've read so far. Who, who is this who comes from Edom in crimsoned garments? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Well, why is your apparel red and your garments like uh, his who treads the winepress? Remember, we were wondering, what's the, what's the blood on his, on his robe? And, and he replies, I have, now this was written almost a thousand years before Jesus was born, 
right? About the future. I've trodden the winepress alone because he's the only one, right? Jesus is the only one who's worthy and righteous to judge. And from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger. I trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. See, when Jesus comes, he's going to come as the hero, but he's also going to come as the righteous judge. All the wrath that gets poured out on those who haven't trusted Jesus Christ, it's poured out by Jesus Christ. And their punishment isn't for anything other than rejecting Jesus, rejecting the good gift that he offers in salvation. And it's, listen, he's gonna judge in righteousness. It's a right judgment. Friends, that's what I deserve. In my sin, I've sinned against the holy and perfect God and I deserve his wrath. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that that we were children of his wrath, deserving of it. But, he goes on later in chapter 2, he says, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Not by works, they make it boast, but totally by grace. It's simply, you believe. And so, uh, this, this blood on his robe is him trampling the winepress of the fury of God. That's the imagery. Jesus will uh, dole out and impose God's wrath for sin. And it said, too, here in verse 15, that from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. That's a strange image, too, isn't it? Well, again, it's metaphor, and it's referring, uh, I think we can understand this as well from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, so he'll do all this rightly, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and here it is, with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. See, Revelation is referencing Isaiah. And Isaiah is telling us that, that Jesus will destroy the wicked how? With a word, with a breath of his lips. So the idea of this sharp sword coming from his mouth, it's imagery, but uh, the writer of Hebrews describes God's word as a sharp double-edged sword, right? So in other words, when Jesus returns, friends, as the hero and as the righteous judge, do you know how that judgment's gonna go down? battle's over. Like just with a word, with the breath of his lips, he will destroy wickedness. So he'll come as the hero, as the righteous judge, and as the king of all creation. As the king of all creation. Look at verse 12 with me. I mean, we sang this earlier, right? In the first song this morning, the king of all creation set aside his crown And that comes right out of Philippians chapter 2, but we we see it here in verse 12. His eyes, listen to this description. I never, again, I I joked about something last week. I said I never saw the flannel graph. I never saw this flannel graph either of Jesus. I never saw this stained glass window. I always saw the one, you know, with the provy hair and the rosy cheeks and just looking really kind and nice. But check this out. Here's how he comes in power. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems or many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. His eyes like a flame of fire. Guess what? More Old Testament. This is how Daniel got a glimpse of Jesus in Daniel chapter 10. It says in chapter 10, verse 6 of Daniel about his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches. And his 
beauty and in his power. That's Jesus in all his glory. Does that scare you a little bit? If you don't know him, yeah. But if you do know him, you go, he, he really is God. This is true. And it says he has many diadems here in Revelation 19, 12. There, there's two words for crown in the Greek language. One is Stephanus, which means like a victory wreath, you know, like you get at the Olympics. And the other one is uh, diadema, which means a diadem, a crown, which is a, a, an authority, a place of authority, of worthiness. And that's the crowns that Jesus wears here. And you notice it's not just one, but it's crowns, plural, diadems, plural. Why? Because he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Like every crown, every place of authority ultimately belongs to who? To Jesus. To Jesus. So he comes wearing many crowns. He comes in power uh, as the king of all creation. It says he has a, he has a name written on that, that no one knows but himself. And there's a lot of possibilities here, but uh, it parallels again Old Testament, Isaiah 62, that uh, w- there will be a name given to us that the Lord will give himself with his mouth. A new name, an identity. He gives us an identity. And it says in verse 16 that Jesus on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords I don't know if that's a a sash that goes around his waist or if literally he has tattooed on his thigh King of Kings and Lord of Lords could mean either one but either way he's the only one worthy and friends this little baby who was born in the manger right sweet baby Jesus And when he comes again, he's coming in power as the Lord and ruler of all creation. As the hero, as the righteous judge, as the king of creation, and as the Lord of heaven. See, uh, look at verse 14. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Well, if you're in an army, who do you follow? The one who's in charge, right? The leader. You follow the leader. So uh, all of the armies of heaven are following who? Jesus, yeah, he's the Lord of heaven. He's the Lord of heaven. In fact, Joshua saw him in this way. Did you know that in the Old Testament? Joshua in chapter five, when he was by Jericho, he he was getting ready, they were getting ready to take Jericho and he lifted up his eyes and it tells us in chapter five, verse 14, or verse 13, he looked up and behold, there was a man standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And so Joshua went to him and he said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. <laughs> That'd be a little bit scary for Joshua. He's ready to go into battle and sees this guy who looks pretty buff with a sword and pretty powerful. And he's like, hey, are you with us or the other, the other guys? Neither. No. He says, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. And now I have come. Friends, that's, that's Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. Do you know that? And, uh, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped him. And he says, what does the Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army, this is Jesus said to Joshua, uh, just like God said to Moses, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. Listen, he's the Lord of heaven and the host of heaven's armies follow him. He's the commander of the, the Lord's armies. From his mouth, verse 15, we talked about this already, comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Friends, Jesus Christ is the Lord of every Lord. 
He's the king of every king. Do you get that? He's the one that everybody in heaven adores and follows. He's the one who's seated on the throne, seated on the throne. He's the one whose face will light all of eternity. Revelation tells us there'll be no more sun, no more night. Why? Because it'll all be lit up by the glory of Jesus' face. Pretty bright. A lot of glory. Would you agree? Yeah. Friends, he's the Lord of heaven. He'll come in power at the end as the hero, as the righteous judge, as the Lord of all creation and the Lord of heaven. Now, here's, here, here's the cool part, right? So, so saying all that... It, if you don't know him, it stirs up just some angst in you. And even if you do know him, you go, wow, he's much more maybe than I give him credit for. But he really is God Almighty. And sometimes I take him so casually. But here's the deal. Even in his power, he also comes with love because he's going to come in power and he's going to fix everything once and for all. That's a great spot for an amen. Jesus is gonna come again. I'll just clue you in, right? A little participatory preaching here. And he's gonna fix everything once and for all. Amen. amen. Listen, that, that's, isn't that great news? What's your week been like? What, what have you had happen this week that went wrong, that wasn't according to plan? What's your year been like? What's your decade been like? Listen, when Jesus comes again, what's he gonna fix? Everything. And for, for, for just a little bit or for good? For good, forever. It'll be over. See, as we, if we look a little bit further in Revelation, after all this battle takes place and the one who's the righteous judge comes in power, we're going to see how he fixes it all. He's going to fix everything. Look at Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I don't know if that means no fishing in heaven or what that means, but sorry, I just disappointed a few of you. And I saw, the, I saw the holy city, John writes, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. A new creation. He's going to fix everything. He's going to make everything new. A new creation after the return, after the battle, and a short battle at that, right? After judgment happens, there's going to be a brand new creation. In fact, what's happening here in Revelation is Jesus is going to restore everything to what God originally intended. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, everything was perfect, right? They walked with God, they knew him as a friend. They were in the garden, and God gave them a command, right? He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, have dominion over all the animals. And really what, what God was telling them was, hey, I, I've put you here to rule and reign as, as uh, my representatives. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want there to be more of you. I want you to fill up this garden, and I want it to go from a garden to a city. I want you to subdue it. I want you to create like I've created. I want you to fill the earth. And when you get to Revelation 19 through 22, really 21 and 22, you see Jesus restoring things to how it was originally intended to be, but that it was messed up because of our sin. But now that Jesus has dealt with our sin on the cross and he's come to fix everything, he can restore it all with no fear that sin will ever come again. 
and it's a restoration of God's original plan. I mean, have you ever had that longing in your heart like things just aren't the way they're supposed to be? It's why you like every love story on the Hallmark Channel, ladies. Because everything just goes swimmingly in the end, right? Well, guess what? That, that desire for things to be like that is planted as eternity in our hearts back in Genesis 1 and 2. And then in Revelation 21 and 22, we find out that because of Jesus' work on the cross, he restores perfectly that great desire that's been placed in our hearts. See, look at some of the bookends of scripture here. From Genesis 1 and Revelation 21, 22. Um, we see the, a new heavens and a new earth. The first heavens and first earth in Genesis and the new heavens and new earth now. Uh, lights to govern the day and night in Genesis. God, the glory of God to provide light in Revelation. Uh, man created to reflect God's image and glory in Genesis 1. Man redeemed as perfect reflections of God's image and glory in Revelation 22. The tree of life shows up in both places. There's a riving, river throwing through the flowing, flowing through the garden and a river flowing through the city. There's man, man is given work to do. We're given work to do in the garden. We're given work to do for eternity. But here's the difference from work now. It's fulfilling every time. Do you ever work and you're just like, this is so frustrating, I hate this. Listen, that, that won't be the case in heaven. You'll work and every time it will be fulfilling. Every time. Uh, there, death was promised for disobedience. Now there's no longer death. Uh, the presence and possibility of evil were there in the garden, but now there's no unclean, unclean thing in it in the city. The Lord walks among his people in the garden. The Lord dwells with his people in the city. There's a curse for disobedience. Now there's no longer any curse. There's eating from the cursed ground. Well, now there's eating from the tree of life. And by the way, did you know that the fruit on that tree changes every month? Go read about it. Fruit of the month club in heaven. Every month, new fruit. And you can eat it. Death is promised for disobedience in Genesis 2 and 3. And now, there's no more death. No more death. No more loss. It's done. Amen? Now, there's another thing in the garden, too. There's, and that's what we kind of saw here. There's a wedding in the garden. And there's a wedding in the city. See, the Bible, God's all about weddings, isn't he? He's all about the perfect outdoor wedding in Genesis 1 and 2, and he's all about the perfect urban city wedding in Revelation 21, 22. And in fact, here's what it says. This verse reminds me, by the way, I'll show you this picture of Hannah on her wedding day, and it reminds me of this, this verse in Revelation 21, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In other words, this city won't be like Chicago. It's not gonna be gross. And I love Chicago, but if you're in the wrong part of the city, man, on a, on a hot day and you smell the sewer, it's nasty. No, no, this heaven's gonna be prepared. This city's gonna be beautiful and perfect. God's gonna, Jesus is gonna fix everything, everything. And if you don't like the city, you're like, I'm a country guy. Well, guess what? You'll like the city, I promise. You'll like it. And if not, I, I kind of wonder, it says that the gates are left open. So maybe you can go out and explore in the country. Best of both worlds, right? But Jesus is going to fix everything. 
See, it says then in, uh, also, though, he's not just going to fix things physically. He's going to heal hearts. Look at verse 3 of Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, here's Jesus, the dwelling place of God is with man, is with humanity. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Every tear. Everything that's been hard. It'll be done. And he'll wipe away the tears. Never to have them again. Isn't that good news? That's our hope, friends, if you've trusted Jesus. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning. You gonna, gonna mourn things in heaven? No, it's done. It's over. Nor crying. See, he's gonna wipe away the tears for good. Nor pain anymore. The former things, that's the, the kind way to say all the just garbage things of life that our sin has created are gone and have passed away. They're gone. He's gonna heal hearts, friends. It says in Revelation 7, the lamb, Jesus, in the midst of the throne will be our shepherd. He'll guide them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. First Peter tells us that we should cast all our anxieties then upon him, all of our cares upon Jesus because he cares for you. He cares and he knows. He'll fix everything once and for all. A new creation healed hearts and he's gonna make all things new. Look at verse five. And he who is seated on the throne, Jesus said, behold, pay attention, I'm making all things new. Everything will be new in heaven. Completely new. I believe continually new. Clean, fresh, pure. Christmas every day. Isn't that great? Most importantly, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will be new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that those who have trusted Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, behold, the new has come. And not only will you be new, you, if you've trusted him, you are new, and you can live into that identity. But that day, uh, he's going to make you completely new. New body, new name, new everything. You look forward to that day? Amen. See, the eternal son who's born as a little baby, he's coming again, and friends, he's coming in power to fix everything. Mark it down. Mark it down. It's gonna happen. If you're sitting there going, I don't know, this is pie in the sky, I've heard this before, it's been like 2,000 years, yeah, behold, I'm coming soon. Well, listen, uh, we shouldn't count his, his timing as we would count it ourselves, we're told in the New Testament, Right? but that God is patient, desiring that everyone, every woman would come to repentance. And when the Revelation talks about Jesus coming again soon and that these things must happen soon, what it really means is quickly. That would be a better translation. That, that, that word for soon means quickly. In other words, when these things start to happen, as Jesus told his disciples, uh, lift up your head because your redemption draws nigh. It's gonna happen quickly. 
and then it's gonna be a party for eternity. Amen? Listen, mark it down, friends. It's going to happen. And the fact that, uh, that we saw what Jesus fulfilled as a baby and in his life 2,000 years ago gives us great confidence that everything else that's promised about him, that's our assurance that it will come true. I'll leave you with this. See, it, it's about faith, right? Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, Paul tells us we walk by faith, not by sight, that you believe it, and then one day you will see it. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see him face to face. Now I know in part, then I'll know fully, even as I have been fully known. The question isn't if it's true or if it will happen. Friends, the question is, do you believe it? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? It's the question of your lifetime. If you're here today and you never come back, that's the question I hope haunts you for your lifetime. Do you know him? Have you trusted him? He's your only hope. See, Jesus said uh, uh, after Lazarus' resurrection, he said, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Because he had told Martha, he told her earlier in John 11 that I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will live, will never die. And he looks at Martha and he goes, Martha, do you believe this? Friends, uh, Jesus came vulnerably as a baby at Christmas, but I wonder, do you believe really truly who he is? He's the resurrection and the life. He's your only hope. Do you believe this? Let me pray. We're gonna sing. We're gonna call it a morning. Father, uh, by your grace, I do believe that. Jesus, I do believe that everything you promised, everything uh, that you've written uh, is true and will be uh, visibly shown to be true one day. Lord, I pray for, for each of us that we wouldn't, uh, even just in the celebration of Christmas and all of uh, the goodness and joy that comes with that, we wouldn't forget that there's, there's more to come.